welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Sean Graham. He is the founder, owner, and operator of Maven Equities, a commercial real estate syndication company with a focus on self-storage opportunities. And he started his real estate journey by house hacking small multifamily properties before launching Maven and going full-time with real estate investing. And he continues to manage his own portfolio of residential rental properties while also investing in and developing self-storage facilities. He has a background as a licensed CPA with a background in public accounting and private equity. So Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good, Eileen. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I hope you are getting some sleep. You look nice and fresh, especially with a newborn one-month-old yes. that you guys have. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're getting through those sleepless nights in the first four weeks, but overall, it's good. We're having fun. So Sean, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So like you said, my background is as a certified public accountant in the state of Michigan. I got my bachelor's, master's degrees in accounting, but I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and went down the the real estate route. And uh, after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so uh, I got started in real estate while working in uh, finance and accounting and started house hacking buildings, meaning I'd move into a unit and I'd rent other units out. It'd be a small like triplex or duplex. And then I'd refinance and kind of go to the next one and move from there. So did that for a few years while working, and now I'm full time with Maven, and we just focus fully on on self storage right now. And we're doing uh, we're buying, investing, developing through partnerships as well as syndications. How did you make that transition between full time working in the financial industry into full time real estate? Yeah, you know, I was working in a private equity backed company for a few years, and actually lost my job, and so that was tough. But I knew what I wanted to do. I knew where my passion was. And I think, you know, I very much wear my heart on my sleeve, right? So I kind of lost the passion for what I was doing, the position I was in. And I knew I wanted to do real estate full time. So I think, you know, life led me this way, but I lost my job. And uh, I said, okay, you know, I'm going to take advantage of this and go full time with uh, self storage and real estate. And I haven't looked back. At that time, how many properties did you have and was it sufficient in, t- in terms of like your passive income to help support during that time? It was. So I think at that time, I was up to six units and then I had another two that I just sold off. But overall, I had they're pretty good cash flowing buildings and that really helped me in the transition to help me just sustain the transition over from the W-2 world into real estate. It was enough where I could just go for it and give it a shot. And you know, if it didn't work out, I could always go back into accounting and continue to simultaneously do both. But luckily, it has worked out for me. So I had started down the self-storage path before I, I lost my job. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do. There's a certain point I want to transition from 
residential rental properties over into commercial real estate. So I listen to bigger pockets a lot. I kind of go down different rabbit holes of am I going to do mobile home parks or if I, am I going to you know do large multifamily or uh, some other type of commercial. And once I found out about self storage and how it worked as a business, I had a lot of confidence in that and being able to run that type of business. They have good financing options as well, and so I stuck fully with self storage. So I continue to house hack. I still do that. I'm doing that, you know, currently still in a uh, a duplex. But yeah, I love that. And that's not my focus though anymore. My focus is just self-storage. With the self-storage, can you share with us, how did you get into your first deal? Like what did you look for and how did you build up your education base in order to get into that first deal? And how did you finance it? And was it with yourself or with partners? Yeah, so... There's so many free resources on self-storage. There's lots of podcasts, there's books. You can go ahead and do paid courses and go through paid professional courses with self-storage companies as well. I didn't do any of those, but I just self-educated. I I read and I listened and I just started analyzing properties and analyzing deals. So, you know, self-storage is very much a revenue game as is all commercial real estate, right? Like you want to raise revenue, minimize or keep expenses somewhat stable, right? And so you can increase your profitability and therefore increase the value of your assets. So with self-storage, they're month-to-month contracts and you kind of can see like, okay, you can quickly increase the rates here to market rates. And so you start digging in and you start analyzing comparable properties to the ones that you know you could possibly buy or that are for sale. And you quickly learn if you dive into it, how to project the financial statements and figure out, okay, is this a deal worth doing or not doing? So the first properties, you know, I I didn't have a lot of money saved up and I knew I wanted to you know, go ahead and go straight into self-storage. And that from a lending perspective, the beauty of it is that you can get an SBA loan. And so the SBA they look at self-storage as a business, not just real estate. So you kind of get the combination of of both benefits there, right? You get the the tax breaks and the depreciation from real estate, but you also can get highly leveraged loans, government-backed loans through the SBA to finance the purchase of one. So they'll go up to 85, 90% leverage. So the first facilities I purchased, I used SBA loans and I worked with private partners. And so I would be one of three people on each deal, and uh, we would just split it evenly. They'd come up with a down payment and everything, and I would put the deal together and run the, the project. SBA loans, for those who might not be familiar with it, it is the small business loans. So yes. when you went to apply for an SBA loan, what were some of the requirements that they were looking for in order to qualify for this? Yeah, so they really wanted you to want to see that you have a real estate background or an applicable background to self-storage. So they love to see self-storage experience. For me, I was able to to use my experience from real estate in general and my experience as an accounting and finance to give the bank comfort in giving me a loan. I had been managing like that small portfolio of rental properties. And in reality, it's much easier to manage self-storage facilities, at least in my mind, than it is to manage tenants and 
apartments and uh, small multifamily because there's always maintenance and repairs. Self-storage, there's rarely an emergency. It's not a complex business model. People, you know, they don't live there or they're not supposed to be. If they are, uh, yeah, that's not a good thing. But yeah, overall, it's just building that resume and kind of showing the bank, giving them confidence in your ability to, to run the business. What other financing options did you guys explore and why did you decide on the SBA loans? Like what made it the best option for you guys or was it the only option? And what other things do you guys look at before you landed on the SBA loan? Yeah, you know, I was looking for a way to buy facilities like with putting as little down as I had to. Right. So the facilities that we purchased, I think one was 90 percent. Leverage, so we had to put down 10%. The other one was 85% leverage. We had to put down 15. And they also give you with SBA, they can give you working capital, startup costs, right? So we we got the loan to purchase the facility, plus we got about three months of operating expenses, right? So that kind of gave us a cushion. If anything went wrong, you can also put in capital improvements if you want to improve the property. So there's a lot of benefits to the SBA loan. Whereas if you went with a local bank or just commercial financing, you likely have to put down 25, 30%. They're not going to give you any financing for operating costs. And they're not going to, I mean, sometimes they will. If you're doing like a full expansion, they'll give you a loan for capital expenditures. But if it's smaller stuff, you know, just like updates to to the facility that typically has to come out of pocket. And were the terms favorable or when you were looking at it, what made sense for you guys when you were comparing that to like uh, local banks? Yeah, SBA, I think their interest rates are typically a little bit higher when it comes to amortization period in the years. They're typically over, I think ours are 25 years. So that's about industry standard. But interest rates are probably half a point to one point higher than a local bank. But again, you don't have to put as much money down and they'll give you financing for working capital and capital expenditures. So it's kind of a playoff of of both, right? So for me getting started, this was a great opportunity for me to enter the industry. And I thought this was the best option to go forward. Now, I think some of the downsides, right? One is the interest rates is a little bit higher. And then two, it takes a long time to close. You know, you're working on a government approved loan. And so that process is not always quick, but you have to maintain patience and and I think it's worth it. So when you guys put in the offer for that first property, did you have to put in contingencies in there for extensions to account for the additional time it would take to close on an SBA loan? I believe we did you know, about 90 days total to close, but with the option to extend, I think another 90 days. So ended up meeting those extensions. You can do things different ways. A lot of times for me, what I'll do is put something in the contract that makes the the seller comfortable. And I'll say, okay, we'll, you know, we have the option to extend another 90 days for $5,000 more non-refundable earnest money close, it goes towards the purchase. If we don't, it's yours, you get to keep it. So you can do that five, ten thousand dollars whatever it is, and work that out with them. Of course, it's always better if they'll just give you the extension option for nothing. But if you do think you might need it, then that's always a good option to put that in. 
With the SBA loans, do they also require some additional reserves to be included in like your underwriting and and all that? Or are there additional requirements that you need to account for that, you know, we might not typically think of? You know, a lot of it comes down to the debt service coverage ratio, just like any other loan, right? They want to see that your cash flow, right? Like your profit covers about 125% of the debt payments. So if you can show that to them and you can show like from the beginning, you know, you're going to be reaching that 1.25 debt service coverage ratio. And then as you improve the property, you're really going to do better. And in our case, right, it's like, okay, with the improvements, we're going to get up to a 2.0 debt service coverage ratio, right, fairly quickly within the next year. And banks like seeing that. But yeah, the working capital, they want to see that you can get the business going from the beginning and you have the cash flow to cover those monthly payments in the beginning. Uh, if there's a lot of improvement that has to be made in order to do that, the banks, you know, we did do one that was interest only for 18 months. So that's an option or another property. We just, we work, we got working capital in the loan as well, which helped us just cover the first few months. And then we were able to you know, we didn't didn't need anything beyond that because the business generated enough cash flow. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Was there anything that surprised you when you were working and obtaining the SBA loan that you were surprised about that you didn't expect when you're compared to like working with the traditional banks or like agency loans or um, as you're purchasing your multifamily? Was there anything that was unique about the SBA loans? Just the time, the time it takes. I think we were, the pandemic affected us too, right? Because the banks were understaffed. They're doing the best they can. People aren't working. So it's hard. It's hard to get those things through and close. And you just have to stay on top of it. But we were working with the banks to close for several months. And that was, I would say that was kind of, that was the hardest part with the the SBA loans. So I don't know if it was a complete surprise because we had heard that before, but it's different than going through and actually experiencing it yourself firsthand. So after you closed the first deal, what happened afterwards? Walk us through where you are today. Yeah, so we closed, you know, one, it wasn't like a quick thing, right, to get the first one closed. I searched for, uh, I didn't get the first property under contract for a year. And then after that, it took several months to close. So, you know, you're talking a year and a quarter or so to just close on the first deal. And we closed on two. I closed on two and actually the same day. It was the very end of 2021, right? So less than a year ago. And from there, 
you know, those were two different properties, two different partnerships, two different sellers, but I was using the same bank. So we were able to close them both at the same time. And since there, things have kind of snowballed and they've gone further. I did another property, I did a 506B syndication. So we syndicated the money with people that we had prior relationships with and have up to 35 non-accredited investors. Actually, today we're closing on fourth property, and that's a 506C syndication, and that's a uh, purchase and expansion. And that'll be our biggest project uh, yet. So very excited about that as well. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. So where are the markets that you're typically looking for when you're looking at self-storage? And can you share some of the criteria as you're looking to add to your portfolio? Sure. Yeah. I focus on the mid in the Midwest. So my properties are Michigan. This one I'm closing on is in in Ohio. It really comes down to supply and demand, right? Like if you are entering a market, you want to enter a market that, at least for me, right? I look for the markets that they haven't found the true market rates. What I mean by that is come across a property they're willing to sell and you look at their facility, you look around the area and everyone's 100% full. That's typically a good sign, right? Because if everyone's 100% full, then you probably haven't found the true supply and demand equilibrium. So we like to go in, buy the properties, and find where the market rates really are and push the rates to kind of see where it's like, okay, it starts to drop off. It doesn't make sense anymore. And we kind of like this would be our stabilized value. So to me, what I look at, right, it's better to be 70% full than making $20,000 a month than it is to be 100% full making $15,000 a month. Again, it's a very much a, a revenue game. So like to search for the facilities that are in undersupplied supplied markets. And also, I very much am a uh, cash flow investor. I like to build equity, but I don't like to speculate at all. So I want to find properties that I know can cover the debt comfortably from the beginning, including you know any repair and maintenance reserves. So you know it's a rule of thumb that. I kind of brought over from residential real estate, right? And it's it's not a science, right? You have to dig into each property, but a lot of times it holds true is the 1% rule, where is the property, cost of the property, is it making at least 1% a month? Will it make at least 1% a month in in revenue? And if it does, oftentimes it will generate enough cash flow to cover the expenses and reserves, and it's going to be a good opportunity. So again, cash flowing properties that are going to build equity slowly. Where is the best place that you've found your deals against and have you built up the flow of your current properties in the deal flow? Yeah, so that's tough because self-storage has been hot, right? Everybody is going into self-storage recently. People want to find self-storage properties. It's just been a very hot commodity the last couple of years. So you have everyone calling and checking with owners, but it's really just getting in there and doing the work that people, other people aren't willing to do, right? So getting on the phones, whether it's you or you hire somebody, getting on the phones and actually calling these owners and building relationships with them. You can send out mailers, you can send out emails, but a lot of times like my team will go on Google, we'll go on maps and we will 
search for self-storage facilities, right? And some of them are listed and some of them are not, but it's really just building that list yourself. You know, there's, you can go buy lists and everything, but the best, every facility I have purchased has been through an organic list that I created myself or my team created, I should say. Got it. And for you, as you've been building up your business and you've been looking at more in self-storage, what is next for you and your company? So I uh, really enjoy the syndication space. I want to continue to grow and acquire and develop bigger self-storage facilities. So the smaller ones, they're great to get started in. They're great to learn the business, but you have to be, you know, they don't, they often don't make enough to hire a third party manager to manage the software and to manage the just the revenue collection and everything. There's a lot of technology to help you there. But as you get bigger and you have more revenue, then you can afford to outsource more things and afford to outsource the third party manager. So in terms of properties, I really am looking for properties that I can that are either at about 50,000 square feet or higher, or I can get to 50,000 square feet or higher. So the one we're closing on today is 30,000 square feet, but we are adding another 30,000 square feet. Actually, and then if you include the parking, in total, it'll be about 75,000 square feet. So that's a great property because we can scale and leverage other people and systems and third-party managers. A lot of people, especially nowadays, you know, they're looking at real estate, the market, there's volatility up in the air. What are you doing in order to prepare for like a potential downturn coming up if there is one in real estate? Yeah. So, you know, I, there's things that are in your control and things that are not in your control, right? Like I have no control over interest rates. I don't have any control over what the Federal Reserve does. So, if interest rates are high, then that's going to affect the cap rates and it's going to affect what your property is worth. So that's something that's out of our control. What we can do, though, is really take a conservative approach and with the information we have in, on hand today, project the best best we can uh, for our future exit. But if you buy right, then you should be able to pull through the ups and the downs, right? And so maybe on your exact year, your exact timing, the exit price isn't where you expected it to be. But maybe, you know, if you do it right, you should be able to hold the property a little bit longer and exit at the at the correct price. So again, it's buying properties that cash flow. And Sean, how has real estate impacted your life so far? I mean One is like, I'm very passionate about it. I'm very passionate about real estate. So uh, from that sense, it's brought a lot of happiness to my career and the choices I'm making in terms of uh, my career path. And then two, it's given me the opportunity to go work for myself and not rely on other people, not to be in a corporate setting that I don't want to be in, just truly be an entrepreneur and, and grow from there. So, you know, it's given me the ability to bring in a lot of passive income, which uh, allows me to control my time. And I think time is the most important asset that we have. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish knew when you first started? Yeah, this is tough. Uh, I thought about this question and I would say 
you know, you can go bigger than you think you can in the beginning. That's what I would tell myself, right? I, I think I went the path I went down was the path I needed to go down, and I don't think it should have happened any differently, right? But if you partner with the right people who have the right experience, right, you can go bigger. Partners, partnerships are huge. So you might not know anything about self-storage, right? But if you can learn a little bit about self-storage or any commercial asset, and you can find a good deal, you can put in the work to find properties and bring them to people who have the experience and have the resources and the knowledge to take the project on, then you can go partner with those people and you get ownership in the deal and you can go big pretty quickly. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? It has to be perseverance, right? Like everybody wants to build wealth and they want to build cash flow. But if it was that easy, then everybody would do it, right? So it's really persevering, finding those opportunities that they take work. You know, you have to get creative and you have to figure out ways to add value to the buildings and facilities and keep going. Again, like I said, it took me a year just to get the first property under contract after looking and educating. And it was about a year and four months to close on that first deal. Awesome. Sean, where can our listeners find out more about you and Maven? Yeah, I'll give you my social media links. You know, it's all Maven Equities. We're on Instagram, Facebook, but uh, my email address is sean at mavenequities.com. And then I have uh, my website's mavenequities.com. I have another website if you're a self-storage owner and you're considering selling or you just want to get a value of your property, you can uh, contact me at um, mavenstorage.com and there's a space to fill out uh, information about your property. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing a little bit about your journey with us and your knowledge. Thank you so much, Sean. Awesome. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.